Good evening, saints and friends, Bible study life crew. God bless you. Good to have you with us. Uh, enjoying another Bible study where we're going over our Sunday sermon and digging in a little deeper and getting some more information out of it. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for liking, commenting and sharing. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thanking you and praising you, appreciating you for all that you are, all that you mean. God, I pray that you would illuminate our study, bless our day and the ending of this day as we cross over this hump day and move into the rest of the week and the weekend. We ask that you bless all our endeavors. Touch us. Let your favor rest upon us. And God, we give you praise and we love you. And we want to show you that you are the most important thing in our life. And thank you for it. In Jesus name. Amen. So. On Sunday was Mother's Day, and um, I started off with this graphic, which was, Mom, you are amazing. Happy Mother's Day. But the thing that really got me was the bottom, how they flipped the mom and mirrored it, and it actually spells, wow, something that I've known uh, but I hadn't really talked about or taught on. So it got me thinking of this, and this became our title. Wow, women of worth. And so the wow is an acronym and it's women of worth. And so uh, Sunday's sermon was unapologetically women focused. And even though it was Mother's Day, I didn't want to just focus on mothers. I wanted it to be women focused. And uh, we do have men in our ministry, but they could take one sermon that is specifically geared toward uh, women. And I thought it would be uh, good to do. And one of the reasons why is because as I think about life in general, but I think about this age, this age attacks our worth. It really has a way of trying to devalue our worth. When you look at the social media age, you look at the uh, the pressure to compare yourselves with Things. You know, there was a day and age where you are compared to the magazine model, the television model, but now it's your phone. It's both the magazine, the television, the newspaper, it's the internet, and then it's right there in your phone. It's now it's people that you know, people that uh, are on Facebook with you, or on social media. You're like, I actually know them, but now they are getting blessed or they are losing weight or their hair has grown and my has hasn't. And so in all those ways, some of those things should inspire us. But a lot of times what it does, it tries to attack our worth because if you got things that are not working or not coming together, it has a way of hitting you in a certain way. It happens to both men and women, but I really feel like sometimes women wear the brunt of that question of worth. Am I worthy? Am I worth it? And a lot of times it has to do by the way they've been treated by uh, men, the way they've been treated by family, the way they've been treated on their job. And so this was an unapologetic sermon to affirm the worth of women, the women in our lives, specifically as we're thinking of mothers, but all the women in our lives, the women in our ministry. And to remind you that there is a wow factor about you. There is uh, some people say that uh, when Adam first was introduced to Eve after her coming from his rib and being fashioned, that it was like, wow, man, which is where we get woman or this is man with a womb. In other words, you are different. Now, Adam had been around the animals, but nobody moved him like this womb man or woman. It was like, you're from me, but you're different from me. You are special. Up until that point, she was only called Adam. She didn't have a different name. She didn't become Eve until after the fall, but she was Adam. She was a part of him. And so one of the things that happens with the fall is that the very thing that came from man now becomes devalued by man. And from that point on, there was a less of a wow factor as it related to women. If you look in the ancient times, even in biblical times, women were treated like property. If you would go back to like Leviticus and uh, Exodus, some of those, when they laid out the law, especially when they talk about sexual law, women were just property. Some of the marriages and things that were arranged and 
when they say thou shalt not covet thy neighbors, first of it says thou shalt not covet. Then it says thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife. It wasn't just talking about adultery for adultery's sake, even though it does speak of thou shalt not commit adultery. It was speaking of the fact that in the male, ancient male mind is that they are property. So it would be like someone stealing my car. Yeah, I'm taking them to jail. I'm suing them because they have taken my possession, but they weren't always valued as human beings. They were valued as possession, someone to help keep the family name. And there's been some rights gained and won as we see the shift in the gospel and Jesus come. Jesus valued women. We see the way he treated the women. But still throughout time, there has been a lessening of the woman. And so for quite some time, I've been thinking about doing something in this vein. One of the things that first uh, kind of triggered me is when I was invited to preach the Good Friday service on uh, Easter, uh, that Easter weekend, the church that I was going to preach at had preached there before. But since I had preached there before, they got a new pastor and the new pastor was a young woman. When I preached her the first time, this young woman was heading the youth department, but they uh, went through a search for a new pastor. It was a lot of people they thought of, and someone thought, well, why don't we try the young woman who's already leading our youth department? And that's who they gave it to. But me knowing ministry, I just intuitively understood that stepping into that is a very difficult role, even more difficult than me as a man because of the devaluing of women. And many times it's worse in the church than it is even in the world. And in the church, especially based on some things people have read and taught, they don't believe there should be women pastors, women leaders, women preachers. They should only be relegated to certain things. And so with a ministry that focuses on love, how can I be the pastor who doesn't value women in our ministry, especially a ministry that is about 75% women? And so that's why I say it was an unapologetic sermon. Mother's Day was just a good excuse to do what I've been wanting to do, and that is to build up the women. Now, in every sermon, I find a way to throw things in there for us, for you. But this was strategic because I think for where we need to go, your self-esteem, ladies, needs to rise. Your worth of your own self, it needs to come up to be what we need to be. Even me as a male and the other males in our congregation, our sons, they need these women to understand how important they are and they need to not see you settling for just any and everything because it hurts the overall movement when half of us are being devalued. And in our case, 75% of us. All right. So having given you the full preface on why I ended up here, let's look at it again. Wow. Women of worth. So what does worth mean? It means deserving to be treated or regarded in the way specified. This is uh, interesting. Actually, I, I want to make that side by side. Uh, that first one says regarded in the way specified. And this could be problematic because a lot of times women will not demand that they're treated in a specific way. They can be so humble and kind, which is good. We don't want to build women with just a bunch of attitudes who are brash and rough. But sometimes in your femininity, sometimes you just allow anything. But you have to be specific on, okay, there's a certain level that I do not want to dip under as far as being treated. If you can't control it, then you can't control it. In other words, you may have a boss that you can't control, but you can demand certain things. And if they are not going to live up to it, you can actually say, I'm going to find another job. But when it comes to your relationships, when it comes to children that you birth, you got to stop allowing them to say and do anything, especially as mothers, mothers of adult children. Sometimes you have to draw a line like, listen, I am always going to be mama. And so if you're not going to respect me as that, then 
you're going to have to do it out or you're going to have to go it out. I'm not going to rush in and save you all the time because I need to be treated in a certain way as it relates to relationship with men. Why are you allowing your standards to dip just because you're tired of being lonely? Because what will happen is when you lower your standard, then you put yourself in a pickle to where you would rather be lonely than be with the wrong person. So there's a lot of uh, things that come with that. So understanding deserving to be treated or regarded in the way specified. So what way? Now we're going to say in the way, the biblical way, not Old Testament biblical way, but the way in which Jesus did. You look at the woman at the well who had a lot of issues with her uh, relationships, but God was like, no, I'm coming after you. I want to touch you. I want to reveal myself to you in such a way till she went into the town and became an evangelist, became to tell everyone about the Messiah, the type of way that specified that when Jesus rose, the first person that found out was a woman at the grave. So when we come to the New Testament through Jesus, God elevated women and it's our job to keep them elevated. So if we're trying to elevate you in our ministry, in our presentation, why are you making decisions that devalue you? So you have to understand that. Number two, I'll make it a larger for a second. The level at which someone or something deserves to be valued or rated. So we live in a culture and it's been it's not new. It's something that's happened for a while. But we live in a culture that women are only valued and rated by their exterior, by their sexual uh, look, by do you have certain figures, certain shape. But what about my mind? What about my creativity? What about my worship? You have to know you are more than a body shape. Nothing wrong with wanting to be healthy. Nothing wrong with wanting to look good and be dolled up. But make sure you're doing it for you. You're not doing it to be rated by people who don't have a godly conscience. No, I am somebody when I roll out the bed with my breath stinking, with hair rollers in my head, I'm somebody because God dwells on the inside of me. Yes, I may not want to go outside and present that to the public, but it doesn't devalue who I am. I am somebody special. And it's so interesting to me, and I'm not for sure how far I'll get into the actual lesson, but it's so interesting to me how men can be so picky in particular as it relates to how women look. But sometimes the men look any kind of way. I mean, they got beer bellies that hang over their body and you have women be like, "Ooh, I just love him. He a big old bear. I just want somebody big to hug and don't really look like what Hollywood says a man would look like. Doesn't have six pack abs. And a lot of women don't care. They just want somebody they can love. But on the flip side, you got men who don't look like anything who demand that a woman's supposed to look this way. And, and I just. Don't get how women settle for that sometimes and like allow themselves to be put in positions where they just go for anything. And many times it's because life has devalued them and they don't understand what they deserve. You have to know you deserve better. So before you can demand better, you have to understand you deserve better. All right. So starting with how we laid it out, I laid it out with points and then a thought. So here's the first point. Willingness to love. So one of the first wow factors of women is at the level in which they love. So there's a scripture in John that says, uh, not just John, but first John, not St. John, but first John, first John four, believe the eighth verse. It says God is love. So the foundational principle about God is that he is love, not that he has love, possesses love, but he actually is love. And so since God is spoken of in the male terminology. In other words, he, when we speak of God, we speak of he, and mainly because of how it's been presented to us and all the biblical writers were males. So we're getting the male perspective. But the Bible says God created them male and female and said they were created in the image of God. So that means that God carries both the male and female in them. We even see that when it relates to the actual human male, 
because in his seed, in his sperm, is both male and female chromosome. It's not until it unites with the egg do we find out what it's going to be. So there is female gender within God, even though we reference God as he all the time. Some people will call God a her, but if you're speaking specifically from biblical terms and Christian terms, it's always he, he, he. But when you think about the way God loves, you have to understand that that is the mother side of God. Or what I like to say, we have God the Father, that we have God the Son. The Holy Spirit is that mother nature of God. It is the feminine of God. It is the, that spirit is feminine. It is seen in the way it loves. So, when you connect to a woman and the way a woman is so willing to love, not just any woman, but specifically a mother, then we begin to understand something about the love of God. So one of the reasons why women should be valued is because women help us understand God. Men do as well, but the way women love shows us a lot about God. All right. So let's look at uh, Luke thirteen thirty four, And this is Jesus speaking and he's on the way to his death. But he makes this statement, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. So Jesus himself is speaking in the feminine tense. He's showing that he was much like a mother hen. And what's interesting, he talks about all the negativity of Jerusalem. You're the one who you kill the prophets, you stone God's messengers, but I still was willing to love you. I still wanted to love you in such a way. I wanted to wrap my arms around you and you were dead wrong. You were a hundred percent wrong. You created a lot of mess, but all I ever wanted to do was love you. And then he makes a statement, but you would not. In other words, you wouldn't let me. You rejected my love more than I was able to give my love. Even though Jesus came to die, he was born to die. He was dying for the entire world, but he came to his own. The Bible says he came to his own and his own received him not. He was willing to come to his own. If his own would have received him, he still would have had to die for the world. But at least the Israelite people would have embraced him. But they fully rejected him. And he says they just wouldn't let him love them, which reminds me a lot of women's position, whether it's being a mother to children, especially grown children, how many times they reject the advice of the mother, they reject the direction. And, and it's one thing when they reject the direction of a father, because a father can be like, I'm washing my hands of him. Let, look, just let him bump his head, let her bump her head. And hey, that's what they get. But a woman is inclined, a mother is inclined to even though they bump their head to help them pick up the pieces. They just love differently. So here was the thought that I added to it. Here's the thought. Often women are more willing than able. So they're willing and ready to love. They are just not able to love because of the people that have around them, because sometimes the men that are around you, you take a a black African-American female who only wants to date, love, and marry a black African male. But that black African male likes white women, Hispanic women, as much as they like black women. So the black woman is, black woman is saying, hey, I really want a black king, but the black king is not necessarily interested in the same level. So what that does, that takes a lot of them off the market, off the table. So you have women who are willing to love, but now the pickings are slimmer and it's no fault of their own. It's the fact that they're loving people who are not ready and willing to love. I'm just using that as an example because it, it could flow in in any race. But many times it's not that women are willing. It's just that people won't let them. They won't let them love to that level. And that can be very frustrating. But what I'm trying to say is don't allow that to, to devalue your worth because it shows you you're more connected to God than anything. And if no one understands, Jesus understands the idea of wanting to love and not being able to love to the level that you want to. So God understands that. And we need to, instead of 
uh, just settling for anything. We actually need to, as women, we need to go to God and Jesus and tell him these issues and problems and have him help us to really uh, open up who I can love. You know, don't let me just choose with my own devices, but God, bring me somebody that will love me the way I'm willing to love, whether it's with our children. And sometimes when it comes to adult children, what will happen is they'll have a baby. And sometimes they'll have a baby out of wedlock and the mama may be frustrated. But when the baby is born and they get that love of being a grandmother, it becomes one of the best things in their life. Because really what God is doing, he's taking a bad situation and turn it around so that mother will have someone to pour her love into. All right, let's move to point number two. With that, there is a willingness to nurture. So it's actually in, I would say it's in the DNA of a woman to actually nurture, not just a mother, but a woman in general. There is something about them that's able to nurture. Many times uh, men are builders, but a lot of times a woman can nurture what is built. I'm not saying that women can't build and I'm not saying men can't nurture, but the default nature of women is many times nurturing while men have to be trained to nurture. Let's look at the definition of nurture, the process of caring for and encouraging the growth or development of someone or something. So women understand that what is brought to me is brought to me in a certain level. And it's my job to take it to another level. It's my job to make it be developed and grow. In other words, women are given something undeveloped, the most undeveloped thing they're given, and they're, it's laid on their lap or laid on their breast after they've given birth to something that has grown inside of them. But when it comes in the outside world, it is undeveloped. It doesn't know how to do anything. And a woman, a woman with their right mind, only a woman who doesn't have a right mind will harm a child. But a woman in a right mind, right mind will nurture a child. You can take poor women who have nothing and they still were able to raise kids because there's something in them that says, I will nurture them. I will feed them. This, this child can suck from my breast. This child can get warmth from me. I will do everything possible to make this child grow and develop. And so that's the power and presence of a mother, but it's something inside their nature, their spirit that nurtures. And so it's not just with children and childbearing. There are many things that women will grow and develop and make better. And men who are married to and connected to nurturing women understand that. They can have an idea, they can have a dream and they can present it to a woman and that woman can help them think it out, plan it out, help them get it developed. And that's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be teamwork. And so when I'm pastoring all these women, I am not wanting to do everything. I'm wanting to see women rise up and nurture this vision that we're preaching, this vision of love and take it to the next level. I want to see people passionate about their ministry that say, hey, I am passionate about Deliverance Temple. I want to see it develop and grow. Many times men in the ministry are wanting to protect it. I don't want anybody to harm my ministry. So, hey, that's why in our church, many times the greeters at the door are, are the men or the deacons are trying to protect things. They're trying to make sure the heat's okay, the lights are okay. It's more self-preservation, but it's women who actually nurture and cause things to be developed and grow. They see things that other people don't see. They catch stuff that other people don't catch. And that's what we want. But when you have a whole bunch of people who are so broken and so devalued that the women only come in here to be fed. I need the pastor to feed me, to break me out of my emotional chains. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad you're coming to the hospital to be broken from your emotional chains. But at some point, you ought to see your worth and your value. And like, I'm not just coming to church just to get free myself, but I'm actually coming 
to make sure this freedom get, goes to somebody else. I'm coming so the ministry will grow. The pastor can do more. The the music can go further, whatever it is. That's really what women can bring to anything. So having said that, I went to a scripture about fathers because I wanted to make a contrast and a comparison and a contrast. So here's a scripture that I went to. It's a scripture in Ephesians 6, 4 it says this. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So what I found interesting about this is that God had to specifically state to fathers, hey, don't be so heavy handed that you actually provoke wrath. Because men are wired to, we're hunters, we are very, can be very proactive, but many times we lead with anger. See, anger is normally a secondary emotion, but many times men don't recognize it as a secondary emotion. If we're anger, angry, we, we move. But what you can do is you can actually provoke people to wrath. You can actually cause the wrong outcome. In other words, we're trying to fix something, but we're fixing it in our anger. So the fathers had to be warned by God, hey, don't provoke your children to wrath. You actually need to nurture them. God never had to tell the women that because the women understand in their DNA, I am a nurturer. I may get angry, but I don't want to be so angry that I break the people I'm called to nurture. Men can sometimes break the people they love and not know they're breaking them. We can have the drill sergeant military minded person where we're going to talk down to you because we're trying to make a man out of you or make a woman out of you. And there is a place and space for that, but we can go overboard. And so God had to warn men that he had to specifically say it in scripture through Paul. Hey, don't do that. Never had to tell women that because women are wired differently. So uh, in on Sunday morning, when the willingness of love, I said this statement that women and mothers will love the hell out of you while fathers will try to beat the hell out of you. So you many times you need that woman to save us because what the woman does, it shows us the mercy. And God is a God of wrath and justice and judgment. But when we see Jesus coming, we see that he's pushed that off and he's given us a space of what we call grace and mercy so that we can get it right. And then if people don't get it right and then in the ending of age, then the wrath will come. So it shows us that God leans toward his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness and his love. And many times we see that in the heart of the woman. And so we can learn us men. We can learn from women, how they nurture. It's not that we change who we are, not that we automatically become soft, but it's okay for us to be softened up in some areas. If many men would have listened to some of the women in their lives, they wouldn't be in prison today. They wouldn't have this, that in the other today, because a lot of times it was a woman trying to talk them down, talk them out of it. And on the adverse side or the the opposite side, there's a lot of men who escape stuff because they listen to stuff mama said, listen to a girlfriend or wife, listen to a sister or an auntie or a church mother, and they backed off of something that they wanted to do. And so that's why women are so important because they bring a lot to the table. So here was the thought that I added to it. The thought was this often for women, nurture is just second nature. So we've explained that well. So we've had the willingness to love, willingness to nurture. Now we're going to add this to number three, willingness to comfort. What's beautiful about this is the Bible says that God is the God of all comfort. When we deliver simple, send a condolence out for when people have died, that scripture is in our written condolence. It's the scripture says that God is the God of all comfort. And so that shows us another side of God that is akin to women. It's not that a man can't comfort. It's just more like the nurturing that it comes so automatic 
for a woman, the way they can comfort. And I use the example that, especially when my kids were growing up, when they hurt themselves, they will run past daddy to get to mama. I'm standing right there. Same thing with my father. My father was standing right there, but I want to go to mama. I wanted mama to put the bandaid on me. I wanted mama to clean, clean the room. I didn't trust daddy. Daddy might put the bandaid upside down. I don't want daddy. I want mama to hug me. I want mama to put her arms around me because there's a certain amount of comfort that mama brings, a certain amount of comfort that a woman brings, not just any woman, a godly woman, godly woman. Now, when I was preaching this, I was mainly celebrating women. But the scripture does tell us the difference between a godly woman and other women. And it, in Proverbs, it talks about how a nagging woman is like an irritation. And so you can look at scripture and see both sides. But I am celebrating you because if you're consistently coming to church and you're consistently tuning in to the Bible study, I am preaching under the assumption that you're not the evil, wicked, irritating woman. You're, or, and if you are, you're trying to change. So I'm trying to pour into you and show you what you have. You have a willingness to love. You have a willingness to nurture. You have a willingness to comfort. And that makes me say, wow, that makes me say you're a woman of worth and you deserve whatever good is coming your way. I'm not promising you that things are going to shift in your life tomorrow, but I am promising you that things are positive are coming your way and it's right for you to receive them. It's right for you to embrace them. There comes a time where there is a serving season. There comes a time for a working season. There comes a time for a sowing season, but there comes a time for a reaping season and a due season. And the problem is if you get to your reaping season and due season and you don't understand your worth, you'll blow it. You'll throw it away. I've seen people in good moments get with the wrong man. And now they're working and the man is driving their car and going, doing what, whatever you, you hear about uh, tax relationships. These are relationships where we're men get with women because they know those women are getting ready to get big tax checks. And then they get them to invest in, Hey man, I'm going to be a rapper. Why don't you buy me some studio time? And then next thing you know, the man is gone and the woman don't have any money. I don't want you to fall for the okie doke. I want you to know what you are worth and what you deserve. That way, when God brings it to you, you won't throw it away because your willingness to love, your willingness to nurture and your willingness to comfort can also get you in a lot of trouble because you'll love the wrong thing, nurture the wrong thing and comfort the wrong thing. So I'm trying to give you that celebration that you need so you walk in the lane that you need to walk in because there's nothing worse than worse than trying to pick up a broken woman who was broken unnecessarily. Let the church say amen to that. All right. Here is a definition for comfort. Ease the grief or distress of console, improve the mood of or restore a sense of well-being. Let me shift for a minute. One of the things I love to do, I actually love to teach men. I love it when I'm in a setting where I can teach men because I can talk really, really candid. And my, my anointing really is at a high level. However, it's different when women are in the building because women shift a mood. Women can shift the mood better than men. Men, men are so sometimes so predictable. And I enjoy it. I enjoy being around men, but we can be so predictable. So Pat, but when you get, when you get women added to a congregation, a space, the anointing that they bring is so spontaneous that anything can happen. And sometimes men are so, we have such a game face. It's hard sometimes for the spirit to move the way it needs to move. That's why I prefer teaching men. But when it comes to just flat preaching, give me some good women in a crowd because they bring a certain comfort and level to the atmosphere. Women can make you preach. They can help you preach. They can they can stir things up. And it's it's beautiful. I love ministry in general. I love what I do. But when you have the right people in the right space, 
I mean, sparks will fly. And I have to say, I haven't seen those sparks fly the way I've seen it in combined com uh, congregations where there are women who are really tapped in because women are so intuitive. They're, they're tapped into the spirit and the way things can shift because of their presence is so important. So that comforting, which I said that the Holy Spirit, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit, the comforter. So I said the Holy Spirit part of God is much akin to the mother part of God or the woman side, the feminine side. So it's so vitally important. All right, let's sh uh, shift to the scripture. The scripture was this Isaiah 66, 12. This is what the Lord says. I will give Jerusalem a river of peace and prosperity. The wealth of the nations will flow to her. Her children will be nursed at her breast, carried in her arms and held on her lap. So it's speaking of Jerusalem as the woman explaining a lot. And then it really brings it home in verse 13. It says this, I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. I don't have time to ex uh, really explain this, but I will throw this in that if you look at Isaiah 66 and then you look at Revelation uh, 21, the last chapter in Revelation and the last chapter in Isaiah, you'll find out that they they are they're quite similar. Really, really 65 and 66 of Isaiah and 20 and 21 of Revelation. But they speak of a future age where things are really, really uh, working well. So the fact that when you come earlier in Isaiah 66 and you see that it talks about how the comfort of a, of a woman is actually showing the power in in the perfect age when things are right. God says it's so much like what a woman does when they comfort a child. It's like it's like the perfect thing. Like when a baby is in a mama's arms, it's like everything is at peace. You can have a child who's just crying and screaming, being passed around. Everybody's trying them. But something about being with mama that's there. Sometimes that's all they want to be is with mama and the prophetic voice of Isaiah 66 and as well as revelation is talking about when things are wrapped up and there is no more evil. And we're in that place of eternity in that perfect place. It talks about that future thing that we, that we want to get to the new heaven, and the new earth that we talk about, but God, uh, he uses the metaphor of a comforting woman. So that shows you how important uh, women are, especially when you operating in the spirit of comfort. All right, let's look at uh, the thought that I threw with it. Here's a thought. Often we can trace the peace and prosperity we experience to the comfort of a woman in our life. You take uh, people who have arrived, even whether it's athletes, uh, doctors, lawyers, uh, politicians, uh, movie stars, many times when they have talked about things, they'll talk about how important their mother was. I don't want to uh, spoil the movie for you, but if you uh, see the movie Air, which talks about how Nike took off through the advent of the Air Jordan shoe, what you find out specifically is how important Michael Jordan's mother was to the whole phenomenon and that many, many thousands of athletes later are benefiting because of his mother and what she meant to the whole thing. And so there's a lot of truth in that, that the peace and the prosperity of a lot of people comes because there was a mother, a woman somewhere who brought something to the table that made people like press on, push on, they encouraged what, whatever it was, they brought something to the table. So that's something very important to, to remember, especially in a day and age where we are, uh, Recession is looming over our head, uh, the stuff with the pol politicians and debt ceiling, that there's going to need to be supernatural peace and prosperity for us to even make it. So we need women really in their position because they're going to aid in that. All right, let's look at four, which brings us to the next point, willingness to give. So let's look at Proverbs 11 and 16. It says this, a gracious, generous woman will be honored with a splendid reputation. But the woman who hates the truth lives surrounded with disgrace and by men who are cutthroats, only greedy for money. One of the things that we really are experiencing in this day and age is what greed has done to the entire econ economy. 
But God is saying that it's the gracious given woman that actually makes a difference. So we've heard about an end time wealth transfer. So basically what's going to happen is going to it's going to go away from the greedy. And the Bible says the wrong woman ends up being attached with the greedy cutthroat. But the right woman is the woman that's the giver. And so when you have women who have the heart to love, nurture, comfort and give, God is saying the tables are going to turn and things are going to flow back to those people. So having those people in your ministry around you, being married to a giver, having a mother that's a giver, an auntie, a best friend or whatever. And I'm not I don't believe that men can only be friends with men. Sometimes you need a good woman in your life that will help you love the woman in your life. Somebody who can talk to you, someone who gives you nuggets. Just being around those givers can actually revolutionize your future. So I'm so grateful we have these women, but the scripture makes a difference. Not just any women, godly women, because the wrong women will mess up anything. So let's. Uh, give us an, uh, an example of that, a biblical example of giving at a high level and taking it outside of just the peace and the prosperity and showing you at what level a woman can give. So let's look at First Samuel one twenty four. The A clause was this. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. So this is a story of Samuel. When you see the story of Samuel, it starts with a man named uh uh, let's say it was, it was Penina and Hannah. And then it was a man married to two women. Uh, I'm, I'm missing the name right now. It's escaping me. But anyway, Hannah was barren and didn't have any children. The other wife had children and all Hannah wanted was a child. I mean, she wanted, it was her life's hope and goal was to have a child. And her husband said, aren't I worth you more than 10 children. And Hannah was like, no, you, you really, you aren't not only that you're, I'm sharing my, uh, your time with another woman anyway. No, I need something that's of my own. And so she really wanted a child. And so God granted her request. All right. When you pick up the story, uh, a couple of verses later, verse 26, she makes this statement to the man in the temple, sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked, I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. And so her husband couldn't give her what she desired and she knew only God could do it. And sometimes it's good for you women to get into a situation that no man can fix your problem. Because sometimes you're trained to run to a man, have a man to protect you, provide for you. There's nothing wrong with that. That's also written in your DNA. But it's also part of the curse. The Bible talks about how the woman would would basically defer to the man. So it's a part of the curse as well. And sometimes you need to be broken from that. I'm not saying we want just independent, radical women who act like they don't need a man. That's not what I'm saying. But there are some things that the human man cannot do for you. Only God can do. And as long as you're looking in the direction of a man, sometimes God has to reserve some things so you will look to God. As long as all your hope is in a physical man, you always are going to fall short. So even though she could have sex with her husband, she her husband could not open her womb. And so she prayed before the Lord whenever they went to the temple, made the journey to the temple. She spent time praying so much so that the person in the temple thought that she was drunk because her mouth was moving so much. He thought she was drunk. She's like, no, I'm not drunk. I'm praying and I'm crying out to the Lord. So let's look at verse 27. I asked the Lord to give me this boy and he has granted my request. So we fast forward and find out she got exactly what she wanted after the waiting, after the barrenness. And let's look at what verse 28 says, which is so Interesting. Verse 28 says, now I am giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. When you take in the contrast of Abraham, who believed and had faith and he wanted a child, he got a child and his child had grown for some time. 
God had to challenge him and say, hey, sacrifice your child to me. He had to challenge him and give him a faith test. Of course, he didn't make him do that. But Hannah was different. Hannah, this is all she ever wanted. But when she got it, she said, God, I'm so grateful that I give my child back to you. In other words, that I am such a giver that you are so important in my life, God. And I am so grateful that you coming through that the very thing that you gave me, I'll give them back to you with reckless abandon. He can be yours for the rest of his life. He can actually serve in the temple. She was willing to part ways with him because, God, I love you so much for coming through for me. All I cared about was bringing something forth that will change the world. And now that you've done it for me, I offer him to you. And that's where we get christening of babies till this day. It was a woman who was willing to give, not wasn't challenged by God in a test like Abraham, but from her heart, she says, God, I give the very thing that I love back to you. Very few times do you find men who give to that level uh, who haven't been prompted by God. Many times there used to be a prompt of God, but Hannah was one of the ones who gave from her heart, which shows that women have a different level of giving and relationship with God that sometimes we as men can learn from. So here's a thought that I added. Often it's hard to outgive a woman. It can be done, but it's very difficult. So many organizations, churches, schools, buildings, etc., are the result of giving women. This is historical. You can look at so many organizations and all the things that I'm talking about and see how women have supported so many things. And even I used the example on uh, Sunday, how in World War II, and the reason why women begin to come into the workforce is because when the men went away to war, they they were needed so much that things weren't being done. And so they allowed women into the workforce, but that's not what they wanted to do. That was the last resort. They thought women should be in the kitchen. They thought they should be just child bearing and, and homemakers. Nothing wrong with that because there are some great homemakers and childbearers, but the women proved we can do more than that. And when they got into these factories in jobs, jobs that they had never worked before, the production did not go down. It actually went up and the men were able to stay on the battlefield and the economy didn't go down. And from that time on, they were like, we might as well keep women in the workforce. But still, even to this day and age, Women don't get paid to the same level, but they actually saved the economy. They they helped. Not when, when we talk about the world war, we have to understand that it was a war that affected the entire world. The allied armies, things would have been dra- drastically changed if the allies had lost and uh Germany and Hitler would have won and and those others. I mean, so the whole world was shifted because of women. So how dare we allow you to be devalued? The way you give, the way you serve, the way you comfort, the way you nurture, the way you love as Deliverance Temple specifically. I can't talk about everything else, but if it wasn't for the giving of the women in Deliverance Temple, our church would have folded I am grateful for the men. But like I said, we're 75 percent women and the people who've given the most down through the years has been the women. And thank God for them. And so there there you guys are ready to reap. But why would God allow you to reap if you don't know your worth and you don't know your value and nobody takes the time to tell you? And since we had a Mother's Day, this was a perfect opportunity to weave a message in there to help build you up for what is to come because we need you. And here is point five, willingness to mother others. Check this out. John 19, 25, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So when you get to the cross, all the male disciples had left except for John. John was the only one. And at the cross was women. God is consistently showing how important women are. Let's look at the next verse. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, who is John, he said to her, 
dear woman, here is your son. And he said to, to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. So mothering is so important to Jesus. Not only did he stop dying to save the thief, he stopped dying to make sure his mama was taken care of and make sure his mama was taken care of someone. The only disciple who actually had made it to the cross, uh, Peter had got close, but then he denied him three times. John had at least made it all the way there. And Jesus was so concerned with that mother son relationship. He was like, I need this to take care of. And he took the time to make that connection. And the reason why I bring this up is because even if you have natural children who won't allow you to love the way you want, or you have uh, relationships where you can't get the love that you want, God will always bring someone in your life that you can mother, whether you've actually birthed out uh, natural children or not. Sometimes the greatest people are good foster mothers or adoptive mothers or just people who have mentored others, discipled others. You still can mother. John was not the biological son of Mary, but she was still allowed to mother. Now, if you know the, the truth of the matter is she had biological children. Uh, Jesus had other siblings, but God says, I, I still want you to take care of John. So here is the thought for that. Often there's a woman somewhere in your life who mothered you without having the same blood as you. Many people have a story, whether it's sometimes it's a teacher, the teacher that, that taught you or something. You have instances where someone stepped in and did that nurturing, that mothering, that comfort. Could have been a neighbor, anybody. Many times for us in church, it was just a good old church mother, an old or woman in the, the sanctuary that everybody loved who brought so much to the table. Now, oftentimes, not often, sometimes there was some old mean woman that couldn't nobody stand, that didn't do nothing good for the church. But a lot of that has been weeded out, man. We got some great church mothers who are just loving and kind and just a hug from them can change your outlook. And like I said, just receiving candy from them or just being around them, or even if you walk into the car and open their door, just what they bring, that motherly anointing is just amazing. And so sometimes it was somebody somewhere that didn't share the same blood with you that helped you just go a little further. All right. This is the last one we talked about. Willingness to be an inspiration. All right. So Second uh, Timothy 1.5 says this, I remember your genuine faith for you. Share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. So we understand the story of Timothy. Timothy had a Greek father. So his Greek father didn't understand really anything about the things of God like his Hebrew mother and grandmother. And Paul was saying the anointing you have in your life, it didn't really come from your daddy's side. The faith that you carry that I know is in you, that I actually helped lay my hands on on you. And Paul said, I actually nurtured you, Timothy, but I was nurturing something that was already in you through the nurturing of your grandma and your mama. And specifically when it comes to the black experience, man, if it wasn't for mamas and grandmas that prayed us through, that put their hands on us, that anointed us, that talked to us, that loved us, nurtured us. Many of us would have folded. And so it's true that those women are inspirations in our life. And so as I'm speaking to women to raise their level of worth, many times I'm speaking to the younger women because they haven't found their rhythm of knowing who they are. Sometimes the older women have come and they they've kind of finally figured it out. Some of them figured it out too late, but they're doing something with it. They're becoming an inspiration. But there's women coming up behind. Sometimes they just don't know who they are. And if we can turn them on early to who they are in God and who God is in them, they can bring so much power to this end time move of God. And so that's what this sermon is to do, is to make you say, wow, I am a woman of worth. I'm a part of women of worth. I am here to wow with what God can do. In other words, I'm not just doing it for myself. I'm not just bringing attention to myself, but I'm 
reflecting it back on the goodness of God and that wow factor. And hopefully as we move in this new age, we continue in this age, we're going to see the wow of all of us because the women are in their place doing what they need to do and they're making things tick. We're going to be a well-oiled machine, but part of that oil is going to be the women that we have in the ministry. All right, that that is enough of that. We are going to go ahead and close out. Um, I'm going to add uh, one more thought and then we will close. Often our families would have no faith, no anointing, no power, no discipline if it wasn't for the women, the praying mothers and grandmothers in our lives. So having said that, we'll close with this. Wow. Women of work. Determine, ladies, that you will be just that. You will be the women of worth that this church needs to do what it's called to do and that I need to pastor the way I'm called to pastor. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, God. We close in prayer. And as I've given my heart to these women and as a man, I'm giving the best that I can because you're speaking through me. But God, you can go beyond that and speak to them even greater than I can speak and really impress upon them who they are in you and get them to understand that our entire collective hope can be seen and what they would do in giving themselves over to you and allowing you to use them the way they need to be used. And we thank you for that. In Jesus name. Amen. People used to say in these last and evil days, in these last and evil days, we need the women to rise up and be what they need to be. All right. So I will say God bless you. Have a great and wonderful week. Uh, I want to say thanks for tuning in, especially those who are online and those who are in the building. We appreciate you all. See you again real soon. God bless. Sayonara. Love you dearly. Thank you. For all of you, both men and women, Deliverance Temple thanks you.